Dr. Kelly Flanagan has spent over 10 years as a clinical psychologist, discovering the secrets to overcoming shame, building satisfying relationships, and finding purpose. In his latest book, Lovable, Embracing What is Truest About You, So You Can Truly Embrace Your Life, Dr. Flanagan reveals why the two problems most consistently presented to him by his clients, relationship woes and a lack of purpose, cannot be answered directly by working on relationships or searching for a purpose. Over the years, he has discovered that we cannot feel truly embraced by another or truly embrace our own life until we have first embraced our truest, worthiest self. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. With almost every client that I work with, anger is some part of beginning to trace our way back to and remembering that sense of worthiness. Um, and it's part of why, you know, as, as parents, you know, one of the things we'll tell our kids is, it's totally okay to be angry. Now, you can't hurt other people with your anger. Um, that's not allowed, and you can't hurt stuff with your anger. But it's okay to have it mm-hmm. and to try to learn from it and what it's telling you. Um, and, and so that's that's why I think anger is such kind of a, a linchpin of this process of rediscovering our worthiness. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Let the Music Play podcast. I'm your host, Ashton Gustafson, and this is where we chat about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it means to make music with our lives, our relationships, and our careers. You know, I introduce guests a lot on our podcast by saying they are one of us. Um, And today, I I can't give a truer, uh, more realistic bio uh, for the individual that's joining us today, Dr. Kelly Flanagan. Guys, let me just tell you, uh, a book landed in my lap not long ago called Lovable, which he authored. And I've shared my story on the podcast numerous times, uh, and I have yet to find uh, a book that really just connects all of these glorious dots that I've been finding in the last few years and perfectly puts them into metaphor, into ideas, into process um, to really understand this whole process of discovering your divine identity, discovering who you are and how you allow that to power your life, your business, and your relationships. Um, So with that being said, I am honored, I am overjoyed uh, to introduce you guys to Dr. Kelly Flanagan. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Ashton, thank you. That was just an amazing introduction. I'm really really honored. And to be honest with you, I'm excited to be invited because it means I, I, I came across your podcast and I am so excited already with the first couple of episodes I've listened to, to, to dive in deeper and telling my friends about it. So thanks for everything that you're doing. Man, well, right back at you. Um, I'm, I'm overjoyed to have you here today. Uh, we're going to get into this book, but it, it was, um, it was, I mean, as I turned the pages, uh, I, I just was like, this is my story. This is my story. And then as I turned the pages, I was like, Oh, how I want this to be everyone's story. Um, <laughs> but before we get into that, um, for maybe our listeners that aren't familiar with you, uh, of course, I know you have a uh, widely followed blog. Um, how do you introduce yourself uh, to people that maybe haven't crossed paths with you before about uh, yourself and the work you put into the world? Yeah, well, that's a it's a great question. It's a big question. How yeah. long do you have? Um, so, you know, 
I think first and foremost, because I, I do write about a lot of topics that um, venture into spiritual territory, I think. And but the first thing I tell folks is that I'm a psychologist. Hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, that's my training. That's my mindset. It's it's a core part of my identity. Um, and you know, I've been a psychologist for 15 years. Um, and uh, but, you know, at the same time, it was I guess it was probably it was in the middle of 2011. And I was I was working with a um, a successful businessman and entrepreneur and um, on his insecurities and doubts and frustrations. And he came in one day and he said, uh, he said, Kelly, uh, th- you, you know, you could, you could make a lot more money if you found a way to market your ideas to people um, and to sort of scale what you do. And, and I, I sort of said, well, you know, that appreciate that. I affirmed his, his <laughs> business acumen and sensibilities. And, um, and then he came in for like two, three more weeks and kept saying the same thing. Um, and I kept responding in the same way. And, and finally he came in and when he sort of a twinkle in his eye one day and, and he said, uh, you know, you could help a lot more people if uh-huh. you found a way to get your message out there. And I <laughs> laughed cause he, he sort of knew he was speaking my language. Right, now. Right. Uh, and, and I said, uh, now you've got me. And it was actually about six months later that I started my blog. Um, and originally actually the idea was just to market again, market my ideas and, and help people and give them an introduction to what I was doing as a, as a therapist. Um, but I discovered my love for writing very quickly and I discovered something else, which is, you know, I was hearing from people, um, like a, existing clients would come in and say, I read your blog post this week. Um, and I would have never told you this, but now that I know that you, you deal with it too. Now mm. that I know that you struggle with it too, mm. I want to tell you this story. Um, and so I was sort of breaking the rules of being a psychologist. I was showing more of myself than I was supposed to and, and being more transparent. Um, but it was creating a sense of comfort and um, a sense of safety. And uh, I sort of realized that that's what so many of us need. We need to know that even our helpers, even our healers, you know, even our, our mentors and our elders, they haven't arrived either. Uh, we're all we're all on a journey, um, and we're all helping each other along on that journey. So I hope that that's one thing that yeah. that my work is doing in the world is sort of relieving that sense of pressure to have arrived because because well, none of us have. We're right. all working on it, you know. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, and so you you're you're a clinical psychologist. I mean, do you have a practice? I know that it's you kind of you have a life of writing and putting these ideas yeah. into the world, an author now. But tell me yeah. about kind of the other. Uh, as you write in the book, the ordinary side of life. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, on my clinical days are Mondays and Tuesdays. They're two very long days, but I've arranged it that way so that I can, can be at home Wednesday through Friday um, and greeting my kids when they get off the bus, but also writing all day. Hmm. Um, so my practice, I opened up a couple of years ago with my good friend and uh, my business partner, uh, David Clinton. He and I own a practice in Naperville, Illinois, uh, called Artisan Clinical Associates. And hmm. uh and so that's where we we do our actual sitting down with clients, um, and uh, it's it's a part of what I do that I'll never give up. I, I love it. Uh, I gain so much wisdom from the folks that I talk to every day, and uh, like I say, we're we're figuring it out. Wow, wow. So that uh, introduces us, and there's a there's a lot of backstory about a blog post you wrote to, you wrote to your daughter that you ended up on the Today Show. Um, right. We may save that for another another episode conversation. <laughs> um, but there's been this beautiful journey. You share a lot of it in the book. Um, but the book is called Lovable, subtitle, Embracing What is Truest About You So You Can Truly Embrace Your Life. Um, and when I, when I open a book 
and I see chapters that begin with John O'Donohue quotes and <laughs> Richard Rohr quotes and Henry Nowen and and the list goes on and on and on. I go, oh, this is this is my guy. This is this is uh, this, this this is my people. Um, so tell me. Um, what led you to write this book and your experience up to this point? How did you get to say, this is the book I need to put into the world? Mm. Well, you know, I think, um, I think part of it is that in a, in a time in my life, um, shortly after having two kids, um, and essentially achieving <laughs> everything I was supposed, supposed to have achieved. Right. right. Yep. Um, I married the woman I loved. I had two, um, beautiful, uh, sons and I had a thriving psychology practice and there was this sense of, um, it's, it's not enough. I'm mm-hmm. working as hard as I, I possibly can. And, and this feeling that I've been trying to run from most of my life is still there. Um, and so I actually started to turn to some of those, uh, writers that you just mentioned, um, you know, out of a sense of desperation, mm-hmm. um, looking for some solace and some clarity. And so those are, those are really the, the spiritual, I consider sort of my spiritual guides. Um, and, uh, it was their writing and the practices in my life that they encouraged that, that, uh, led to a lot of transformation for me. So yeah, the, the, the way that I, I describe healing and wholeness in lovable, it certainly comes from my own story. And then me sort of testing that out with, you know, my therapy clients and, um, and then hearing from people like yourself that, wow, this resonates with me as well. And, and starting to discover that there's something universal yeah. in some, in some of the healing yeah. that I went through and then, and then framing that in, in this book. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of the personal piece of that. And actually you, you talked about the, um, the today show. Um, it's funny, uh, after the today show, I was fortunate, um, to actually get connected with a really good literary agent. And she, came, you know, she came to me and she said, uh, hey, you're writing these great letters uh, to your kids. I think you should write a parenting book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I went home to my wife and I said, uh, you know, Kathy, my agent wants me to to write a parenting book. <laughs> and my wife looked at me and sort of said, uh, buddy, you got no business writing a parenting <laughs> book. <laughs> Called you out. And, yeah, and she's totally right. And so we started to talk about um, my, my wife and I. So what is resonating about these letters? And one of the things we realized was that we weren't, I wasn't primarily hearing from people saying, uh, you know, I'm going to hold on to this letter and give it to my kids, even though, you know, there was some of that. What I was hearing was I needed to hear this. Um, And essentially the subtext was I've still got a little kid in me who was needing to hear these words. And, And so, yeah, we decided to I decided to write lovable around this idea that, um, you know, I, it's written sort of as an extended love letter to my kids, but it's also written as a love letter to the kid in me and hopefully yeah. to the kid in every reader, because that's the part of us that is really needing to, to heal and come out of hiding. Yes, yes. So that that's a beautiful gateway into where I wanted us to go with this, because um, you talk about the backstory. Before you really get into the book, you talk about yeah. this backstory and this this wound. I know a lot of circles, if you're in the Enneagram circle, you hear the childhood wound. Um, mm-hmm. you, you hear these different things like that. Uh, and then you talk about the search and the healing. Um, for our listeners that are going, what are these two guys talking about? Um, mm-hmm. the, the wound, the inner child. Um, mm-hmm. Would you unpack that a little bit for, for really what we're getting at? Um, about the, yeah, you yeah. know, the, the, the innocent you, the you yeah. before the you was taught that there, there's the in and the out crowd, there's good and there's bad. There's, you know, that before the dualistic right. mind showed up. 
Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's funny because, um, so what I did was I, I went back to Kathy and I said, uh, you know, I want to write a book like this. It's a love letter to the little kid and all of us. And, and she said, yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Start sending me some proposals based upon that. Hmm. And then for months and months, she just kept knocking down ideas <laughs> and, uh, as they do. And, as they do. And I remember I was standing in my kitchen one evening and I got a text from her and it said, um, you know, you keep, you keep talking about this worthiness thing. And, mm. and I remember sp- explicitly, I remember her exact words were, and it's great work if you can get it doc. <laughs> right. um, but how do we become worthy? And I remember looking up at my wife and being like, can you believe she would ask me that? You know, you don't, <laughs> my ego, right. Is right. wounded. Yep. How, can yep. you believe she would ask me that you don't, you don't become worthy you are worthy. Right. And somewhere along the way you forgot you were worthy and life is about remembering it again. Yes. And my, my wife looks at me and she goes, uh, you should probably tell her that's what you're thinking. Yes. <laughs> um, and I did. And, and so that's the idea is that we enter into the world worthy mm. with a true self that is good enough. But somewhere along the way, we encounter this experience, which we're increasingly calling and referring to in our culture is shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and shame is the message that who we are is not good enough, yep. um, that we're unacceptable. And, and that's what I call the original wound. We all encounter it. We all experience, no one escaped it, right? We all experienced it. And, and so what we begin to do as children, usually very young children, is we start to hide ourselves away thinking that we're not good enough. Um, and we start to try to search for worthiness in other places in life. You know, if I don't have it in me, I better go find it somewhere outside well, of me. Well, um, man, I mean, so good and so true. Um, and so you, you introduced this idea about the inner child and you kind of share your own experience of, uh, was it a weekend retreat or something like that where, you know, they said, Hey, go back and talk to that, you know, that little child within you. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, and that actually happened. I think that happened right before, um, I, you know, some of these insights about why my my letters were resonating with people. Yeah, so I did this this weekend retreat where, you know, I thought I was going for continuing education and uh, <laughs> for as a psychologist, and they um, they actually told us right at the beginning of the weekend, you know, really to learn this therapy, you have to go through it. So yeah. we're going to take you through like sixteen intensive hours. And so by the end of the weekend, they have us walking through this exercise where uh, you're sort of, in my case, I'd chosen my fifth grade self, and I'm, I'm walking into the house that I was in and living in in fifth grade, and you're instructed to ask your mother for, for what you want from her. And in my, in my own visualization, I was unable to do so, mm-hmm. and I asked her for an orange instead, um, and then ask your father for what you want from him. And what I wanted from my dad was for him to tell me that I was becoming a, a man and a good man at that, as I say in the book. And I couldn't do it though. Uh, wow. And so the instructors asked us to, to leave the house and to walk down the street and to notice that a figure was coming towards us. And that figure turned out to be our adult self. And immediately <laughs> I knew what I, I wanted to ask my adult self. And it was, please tell me that I'm okay and that I'm going to be okay. Um, I just, the fifth grader in me desperately needed somebody to take me by the shoulders mm. and look me in the eye and just say, dude, you're all right, man. Mm-hmm. You don't, you, you don't need to do anything else to be okay. Um, and that was a really powerful experience for me to the point that I still have that voice come back to me at times yeah. when I'm struggling going, yes. dude, you're, you're okay, man. Yep. You're okay. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's, I, I think that a lot of, 
there isn't a lot of dialogue, there isn't a lot of writings, um, and you do that in this book, which I love, is that um, when you when you start to remember, when you start to recollect, yeah. when you start to recall um, who you've always been, um, yeah. there is a uh, we're forgetful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and exactly. and uh, I, I mean, like I'm raising my hand. Last Tuesday, I was very forgetful, um, <laughs> and uh, I needed um, someone to to grab a hold of my shoulders and say, "You're enough. You're okay." Um, there's, there's, there's nothing to prove. Um, and really that's this rediscovery. I think that you, that you talk about, um, we, uh, you know, rarely do we, do we label it shame? Um, I think we call it a lot of different things, but I I just love that you're like, Hey, let's talk about the elephant in the room and call this thing out. Um, so that when we can call it out, um, then it's got light on it, and maybe we can see it for what it is, and maybe we can re- return to that, uh, as you write, the divine spark. You got it. I mean, yeah, that that shame thrives on us not paying attention to it. You know, yes, um, yeah, yeah. Be, you know, that's the that's the fuel of it. Because if we're not paying attention to it, um, what we start to do is we start to feel like we're merged with it. Mm-hmm. So we have this we have this voice of shame within us. And unless we're listening to it and paying attention to it, it just feels like our thoughts. It just feels like our feelings. Um, And so we start to assume that it's the truth um, about who we are and about the way the world works. Um, And so calling it out and actually saying, now this, this is a, this is a message that you've received and internalized and it's now a voice within you. But if you can learn to listen to it, you know, when we listen to something, it means we're listening to something that is not us. Mm-hmm. And so we begin to get a little bit of distance and a little bit of space from it. And that's one of the first things I talk about in, in Lovable is that practice of learning how to listen, listen to our shame, and then start to make some decisions about what we want to do with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, would you say awareness is the great predecessor to all of that, which we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's no coincidence that that weekend course I was taking was primarily focused on mindfulness and awareness and and, and simply being present to those, that voice, that voice within us. So, yeah, yeah. Your, your continuing education first needed continuing transformation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) You got it. Oh man. Okay. So, um, the, the book opens, you talk about this backstory, you talk about, uh, discovering the divine spark, who you've always been, who you'll always be, by the way. Um, right. The 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 formless part of you. Um, yep. And then you talk about the search for worthiness. Then you get into the search for healing. Um, and and what I one of the big big things, and this rang so true for me, was you saying um, the search for healing isn't a group project. Mm. Um. And I really wanted to hear you kind of riff on this because um, <laughs> only uh, I did a podcast. My last podcast was on just the pattern of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the the, the pattern of death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. nobody can teach or tell you how to die. Um, mm-hmm. You you have to go figure that out, become aware, become available to it, and then allow that process to happen. Um, That's right. But yep. we put it on people, right? But we. We don't allow it to transform us. We transmit it, and it turns into this group project, Fix Me. Right, um, right. Tell, tell me, as a clinical psychologist, mm-hmm. um, 
all of the stories that, you know, and people mm-hmm. that you've, you've set with, what you mean by saying that the search for healing is not a group project. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad that part of the, that idea resonated with you because it, yeah. really, it really is at the core of everything that else that happens in Lovable. And, um, you know, people have been trying to figure out for, what, 40, 50 years uh, why so many marriages end in divorce, for instance. Um, yeah. And I think you can look no further than um, oftentimes we get into marriage or really relationships of any kind, okay? So we started out worthy. We became ashamed, um, and we thought, well, I, I'm I'm not good enough, so I have to go find somebody who makes me feel good enough, someone mm-hmm. who makes me feel lovable. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes some people do for a while, right? And it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty intoxicating stuff. Um, but really, no no person can sustain that. No human being can sustain that. And so we have ultimately become disappointed and frustrated in our relationships because. The person who was supposed to make us feel lovable isn't doing that trick for us anymore. Mm. Um, and that is almost that I, I was going to say almost, I'd say that fair, fair to say that is the way relationships end yeah, <laughs> um, right. is, is with, with that frustration. And, um, and then, you know, we do, we do the next thing. So we say, well, um, I couldn't, I, I searched for worthiness in my relationships and that didn't work. So now I'm going to go try to find it in my accomplishments, right? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to find something to do in the world that makes me feel good enough, or I'm going to do something that's more than enough so that I feel good enough. And, uh, and so we, we, we search for that worthiness everywhere else and we, we fail to get still. And there's good reason for that because the first things you start to encounter when you get still are, it's not your worthiness, right? It's your, it's your mess. It's, it's, it's all of the stuff that you've been wanting to, to see fixed in you. Um, and eventually, uh, you encounter your shame and, and to re-experience our worthiness, we have to go through our shame and that can be a really painful process. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I also didn't put, put the piece together and you, um, I think you wrote in the book about how, uh, that shame kind of manifests itself through some anger. Um, and, and I, it connected dots for me on my journey a handful of years ago. Mm. of I can I can like feel I, I can like almost feel my eyebrows bruised from like this anger face I had um, <laughs> and, and and yet life was up and to the right right uh-huh. the, the, the graph was perfectly up and to the right business right. Um, income uh, love family you know like you name it the trajectory from the outside looking in was up and to the yep. right the inside, yep. Uh, conversation was you're not enough. That's right. Did did, yeah. did, did it do it for you? This didn't. You know, I remember raising my glass mm-hmm. on a December 31st, toasting to what was on paper a great year, uh, right. and then I remember it being one of the darkest nights of my yeah. life. And and you want to talk about those dots from shame to anger and kind of how that can manifest yeah. itself? Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think this is a, a huge point for me, turning point personally, and really as a therapist who needs to help people, was um, that, you know, for so much of my life, and I think most of, for most of us, um, we're sort of taught that anger is a bad thing. And uh, mm-hmm. if we feel it, we need to suppress it and push it down. And certainly some kinds of, well, all kinds of anger can be damaging, mm-hmm. all right, if we, mm-hmm. if we sort of let it, let it, let it run wild. Mm-hmm. But we also need to pay attention to our anger because, you know, it turns out um, 
and I think I think the best way to illustrate this is if I have a client who comes into me and says, um, I have I have no sense of worthiness. I have no sense of self-esteem. I don't have any sense that there's anything good in me. And then in the next sentence says, but I got really angry at somebody this week because they treated me badly. Mm. And I'll stop and I'll stop them and I'll say, if you didn't think that you were worthy of being treated well, you wouldn't be angry in that situation. Oh, you would have just gotten what you deserved. And so sometimes anger is really the only entryway we have mm-hmm. into our into our sense of worthiness, into the sense that I'm worthy of being treated well. I'm worthy of certain good things. Um, and so it's a it's it's with almost every client that I work with, anger is some part of beginning to trace our way back to and remembering that sense of worthiness. Um, and it's part of why you know as, as parents, you know one of the things we'll tell our kids is it's totally okay to be angry. Now you can't hurt other people with your anger. Um, that's not allowed and you can't hurt stuff with your anger, but it's okay to have it mm-hmm. and to try to learn from it and what it's telling you. Um, and, and so that's, that's why I think anger is such kind of a, a linchpin of this process of rediscovering our worthiness. Yeah. And for me, um, I, I didn't know that my anger was tied to my shame until I, I read right. this in your book, because my story right. was, Hey, they told me the map said, go get your degree, um, mm-hmm. build something, quote unquote, bigger than yourself. I mean, how mm-hmm. th- that's a dangerous thought. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and then they say, go, go do this, go do that, build, build, produce, produce, create, create. And I do everything that's on the map. I pass mm-hmm. go like they say to on the map. And yep. then yet I'm still sitting there going, and my soul's bankrupt. Um, yep. so I was afraid I would, the shame was I'm still bankrupt. Um, yep. this didn't do it, exactly. but it came out in like, I'm freaking ticked off. I'm mad. I'm angry that the map didn't promise what I thought the map was promising me. Exactly. They lied to me, you know, and, and for me, I think there was some of that, but most of my anger and resentment was tied to my relationships where gotcha. I felt like I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing in relationships, uh, to be to be loved and to be, to be treated in a way that made me feel lovable. And so when that feeling wasn't coming, I was angry at my people, hmm. right? Hmm. Um, I was not an easy guy to be around for my wife for many years. Um, and you know, there are ways that I hurt my kids when they were very young and sometimes continue to do so when I slip back into that. Um, but yeah, that, you know, here's the roadmap Do be, be the perfect husband. And yeah. then you still don't feel lovable. Well, it must be her fault. <laughs> you yeah. know, it must be my wife's fault. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that, that anger can quickly connect us back to our shame for sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so you, you kind of, you, you end this entry into the book with this idea. And I loved this was, um, you just kind of riffed on being ordinary. Um, mm-hmm. and that it is totally okay to be Kelly. It's it's totally matter of fact, Kelly at the soul level is is the greatest, most beautiful gift Kelly can be in the world. Um, you got it. And um, I mean, dude, is that not our work every morning to to <laughs> to get back right. to the idea of uh, we are not the avatars we create. Social media is going to convince us of all something that isn't even there. Um, yes, it's okay to be you and to uncover that divine spark of who you've always been. You got it. Yeah. And, and once, 
once you can begin to trust that who you are is good enough, um, life is really, it truly is freed up it is. to, um, to say, like you said, and you've got to do it almost every morning. Um, yeah. you know, I, all I've got to do today is be me and, and not the me that I created and built to try to impress everybody right. else, but the me, the me who's been here all along, it's yeah. that simple and that easy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so sometimes, uh, yeah, ordinary is a word that anchors me to that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, if I start to think about being extraordinary or accomplishing a lot, a lot of times I, I can be pretty sure that's my, my false self or my ego taking over. But yeah. if I say, how do I just do life in an ordinary way today that when I look back on it, say, you know, I can be satisfied with that. Yeah. Um, that, that helps anchor me. Yeah. And the, the false self that says you have to be extraordinary um, right. There's a lot of expectation connected to that, right? I mean, you kind of mm-hmm. nail your coffin a bit on like, well, if I'm mm-hmm. extraordinary, then this will do this and that will do that. And this door will open and everything will work as it is to be. But then you flip that conversation and you say, it's okay to be ordinary. It's okay to be you. I think it does two things. A, it's totally freeing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Because that true you for freedom, we've been set free. Um, yep. and then the second side of that is that's the gift. Uh, that's the gift. That's, that's really how the world changes when that true mm-hmm. you can show up in the smallest of acts, um, yes. that isn't on a screen that's in the human moments of being a dad, being a friend, connecting with a random stranger. When that yep. true you can show up, in an ordinary way, it appears as though the, the divine says, now I've got what I, I need to work with. You got it. And, you know, I think it's, it can be so hard for us to believe that, that God is really that good. That, right. that God said, said, I don't have this plan for your life that you have to decipher and get just right. Yeah. Cause, cause what I, cause what I've got is I got the floor plan for your heart. Right. And, and I made your floor plan for I made, your heart. I, you got it. Right. So I, I made your heart and all you have to do is learn how to live from it wow. and, and let that heart live out in the world. And that's what you're here for. Mm. Um, like that, that God is that good. And that if everybody did that, um, we'd see a kind of harmony that, that we can't even fathom. Um, mm. I, I believe that's, that's sort of, um, that's, that's core to a faithfulness that changes us that God yeah. can be that good. Yeah. yeah. I'm the I'm I, I have the floor plan to your heart. Wow, that's a meal. I'm gonna chew on that for a while. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, um, wow, I absolutely love that. Okay, so now that we have this kind of this peeling back the onion, this discovery, you the the, the majority of the book is healing that happens in three acts. Um, mm. And I don't want to steal thunder from the book, but I do want people to get kind of a bird's eye view into um, this this healing. And mm-hmm. I think we should also preface this with, with this concept um, or this idea that um, healing isn't necessarily uh, like the word "better" may may pull back from like saying, "Well, yeah, you're gonna you'll you'll eventually become better, and that will be right. like that." That's that's not what we're getting at here. What, what right. the, the, the healing is, there is a part of you that is 100% whole. Um, right. It's unoffendable. Um, right. It's where the divine light is, and it is it is where peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control always is, was, and has been. 
Um, So it's just getting into that. We're not saying five steps to a better you. Um, We are saying, hey, can we get a flashlight out? Can, Can we get a shovel out and dig away to, to rediscover what, what has always been true in this healing process. Well, I think what you're getting at is that so much of what we call self-help is really self self self-rejection, right? Right. It's a way of, it's a way of saying I need to be somebody better and somebody different um, because this is unacceptable. And, you know, probably one of the most transformative ideas I ever encountered. um, It was in Henry Nouwen's book, life of the beloved. Yeah. And it was the idea that you are becoming who you already are. Yes. Um, yes. And so in that in that sense, the better that I want to become is actually who you already are. Yes. Um, and so this isn't about a, it's not about a construction project. If anything, it's more like an excavation project where Absolutely. you're unearthing what is already in there and is already whole. So, so yeah, that that way of thinking about who we are and who we've been created is really kind of at the core of the the three acts of lovable. And doesn't doesn't roar? And I think you quoted in the book somewhere. He says something along the lines of like, "You are already what you're after." Something like exactly. that. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. Um, yeah, you, exactly. Um, yeah, and that's you know, and I think in one of Roar's books, I think it might be the power. I'm not quite sure which one it is actually, but he says uh, all wisdom is borrowed, and it was such permission to uh, say yes. It's a, you know, okay, so this this wisdom that Henry Nowen has shared and Richard Rohr has shared, it's okay for me to write about it too. Um, oh, we're, we're, all, we're all sort of tracking, um, you know, into the same place here. And that's okay for me to add my particular voice to that conversation. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I have no problem with, uh, with saying, man, such a debt of gratitude to be standing on the shoulders of these writers yes. and, and thinkers and yes. spiritual people. Yes. No, uh, I'm there with you. And if it's true, it's true everywhere, right? Right, um, exactly. It's okay to call exactly. out the, the good, the true, and the beautiful wherever we find it. You got it. Um, okay, so walk me through this then. The healing happens in three acts, and you call them Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Act 1, which we've kind of hit a lot today, is mm-hmm. the worthiness discussion. You are enough. Um, this is where you recognize your true self, and we kind of... Merton, I guess, can we give Merton the yes. trademark on the true self? Uh, I, I think we have to give Merton the <laughs> trademark. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, we all talk uh, about it, but we need, we need to give him uh, that because I think it... Um, yeah, he was, he was generous enough not to ask for royalties every time we say it. Right. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, true, true self, false self tracks right back to him. What a, what a gift he gave us. Right. And so it's in Act 1. Uh, it's what we've been talking about. This is when yep. you already discover uh, that which has always been true. Um, well, and if it's okay, if it's okay for me to sort of track back to the group project idea, because yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure we we totally please flesh that out. Because if it's not a group project, how does the project work? Is the mm. question, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 this is where I talk about in Act One in this worthiness task that we're all trying to figure out. Um, that essentially we touched on this idea of the voice of shame. Um, and this process of learning how to internally in this in this internal project learning how to be aware of it um, and listen to it and then as we do that we can begin to ask it to quiet down a little bit yeah. you know we can we can sort of say you know what 
your your reign in my life. You may be you may be hanging around for good. I may not get rid of you entirely, but yeah. your reign in my life is coming to an end. Yeah. And and I am going to start listening for another voice within me. And this is the voice in Lovable that I call the voice of grace. Um, and one of the things, and I know I get into this territory and people say, well, how can you start talking about the voice of grace, which clearly are referencing God? How can you talk about this stuff if you're not a theologian? And and I say, you know, if I have any authority, it's as a psychologist and discovering over the last 15 years that when we cultivate enough internal stillness and quiet, every single person I've ever worked with has been able to hear the voice of grace start to break through that. Wow. Um, wow. And, and, and it's always there. And yeah. uh, I, I almost start to get emotional yeah. when, I, when I talk about this because of how important it is. Because yeah. I think maybe I'm emotional because it takes the pressure off of me as a therapist yes. to do all the healing, yes. you know? Yes. And I, I'll, all we've got to do is learn what's keeping it so noisy inside yeah. and how to find a little bit of stillness. And then I'm going to let the voice of grace take over in your life. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so that's a that's a sort of the central dynamic of that first act of worthiness is is trading the voice of shame for the voice of grace. And, and at the end of the book, you talk about how you had to break up with shame. Um, yeah. Like it was it was right. this friend that you had, and right. I was like, dude, time out. Um, <laughs> shame was my friend, and then I and then then the, all the dots that just connected on that for me was, oh my gosh. This is when shame is a best friend. Yeah. That's when gossip enters, resentment right. enters, uh, right. cynicism, pessimism enters. Like I'm sitting here going, "Wow!" Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about where the noise of the world is today, um, yeah. its roots are in shame. That's, um, that's that's it. That's it. Yep. And it was a brilliant, a brilliant way for you to say, "I had to break up with this this friend of mine." that was always whispering and saying things to me. Well, it's like, you know, and some of us have even had that in real life, like a friend who we just realize at some point we get in trouble every time we hang out with this person, <laughs> you know, or I, I hang out with them cause they're sort of, they're sort of fun and they make me feel powerful. But wh- when I'm done with the day, mm. I look back and I, I mm. actually don't feel very good about how the day went. Um, and so, yeah, it's this idea of trading our original companion shame for this much more faithful companion, Grace, um, and, and listening to that friend inside of us um, and cultivating an attention to that voice. Wow. Wow. And, and, the, and the voice of Grace, uh, the announcement is the good news. And, the announcement is the good news. And, and I'm sorry if anyone's ever announced it to you that it's bad news. <laughs> right. right. Um, I mean, like, I'm like, uh, it's, of course it's good news. Of course you begin to say things like nothing can separate me from this voice. Um, yes. For freedom, we've yes. been set free. Um, yeah, dude, I, well, you, I wanna, you and I could riff it, all day. I feel like it's just you keep... and I are like high-fiving <laughs> through the phone, just constantly. Right, we, exactly. And, and, and it's, it's a joy to, to be um, having this conversation with you and, and you enjoying it as much as I do. And, but, and I think one of the, the bits of joy that comes out right there as you're talking is that once you've heard the voice of grace within you, you want to spread the good news that mm-hmm. it's in everybody else as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. You know, you you want everyone to know, like you don't yeah. have to be burdened the way that you are. Yes. I, I, I was, and now I'm not anymore, yeah. and you don't have to be either. And yeah. so there is a sort sort of contagious joy and announcement that starts to to want to happen within you. Yeah, and it, and and that I think the one of the biggest ahas I've had recently is. 
when when that announcement settles well in your soul, um, yeah. your yeah. total job and role is no longer about weapons and about mm. war. It's about oxygen. <laughs> it. yeah. it, it, it's about hey, you want to breathe? You, you, yep. can, can, can I can I break some chains for you? Um, exactly. Can I pull something off your shoulders? You need you need some oxygen to breathe, and I think that's um, once you've experienced the transformation, uh, if if you can position your posture um, in right. that sense, that is how you make the world a better place. You got it. Well, and then and there's so much more space and energy to help people in that way because when it's all about trying to fix people or you know build a new self for somebody, it's exhausting and mm. it never goes anywhere. And mm. so. To offer oxygen, that's mm-hmm. that doesn't require as much energy from me, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's more productive for you. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I think it actually um, helps to sustain our compassion and our, our um, care for others as yeah. well. Yeah, so good. Okay, so we get into Act Two. Act Two is about belonging. It's this idea mm-hmm. that you are not alone. Um, yeah, and uh, this is kind of where the true self is revealed. Um, mm-hmm. You want to walk through. Because uh, I've experienced this in my own life, that when the true self is revealed um, yep. and people have only known the false self, mm-hmm. um, it's a different you. I mean, it's the you that's always been there, but people are like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, time out. You, he's, right. he's dealing with a whole new set of questions now, and I'm not sure I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, you're, you're getting at something well, okay, so I'll, I'll try to hold on to that last yeah, piece. Um, yeah. But the, the first, the first piece is that, yeah, that as we begin to embrace our true self um, and embrace its worthiness, then we have um, the opportunity then to start to reveal that true self to people for the first time, uh, or at least for the first time since we encountered shame. Mm. Um, and and that can be sort of a, a risky thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's you're always doing that, feeling a little bit. Uh, still uncertain about your worthiness and uh, and so it's there's risk to it and there's there's danger but um, and part of the danger is and, and you you got at it yourself it's sort of like when an alcoholic um, goes into recovery and comes out and they're truly committed to their sobriety but no none of their people trust them right, right? Yeah. they're not gonna they're not gonna trust your sobriety for three months six months a year sober right and then yeah. they're gonna start to trust it hmm. and that's part that's part of what happens hmm. when we start to reveal our true self is like you know my my wife for instance you know um i've been acting resentful and frustrated with her for uh seven eight years and then all of a sudden i'm not reacting to her the same way anymore wow. you know um and uh and so that's a little bit hard for people to trust at first and we have to have some understanding of that and some patience with that and realize, and and, and we're enabled to do that because others' reactions aren't what we're doing it for anymore. We're not doing it to get the affirmation that we're a changed person. We're just doing it to be different because there's freedom in that to Hmm. be who we really are. Hmm. Um, But it it does take time for people to trust that. Um, But that's the, that's the core task in in the belonging stage is I reveal myself, my true self to the world. And I sort of wait to see who over time, really starts to respond to that and appreciate who I am and, uh, and care for who I am and celebrate that. And th- now you're seen, right? Um, right. I mean, the walls are down. This is, this is who I am. Uh, right. this is what, and like somewhere, uh, whoa, you wrote, um, it's coming back to me. Give me two seconds that like the ego, the ego was like this, this camouflage. 
Right. Um, yeah. And I was like, dude, yeah, that's that's brilliant. When you this is this is how I've hid in the world. Yes. Um, and and now now I'm being seen. Now I've left the forest, and here I am in yes. in all of my bruises. And you have it, um, but it's a totally different you. And and now you've put yourself out there to be seen. Right, exactly. So one of the, and to, to kind of clarify that use of the word ego, mm-hmm. um, so the idea is that, you know, as we start to doubt our worthiness after we've encountered shame, what we start to do is we start to build a false self, or you can also call it the ego, um, to sort of hide our true self away and protect it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that false self is what goes out and meets the world. You know, it's our persona. And, um, and the, the hard part about this is that, we're doing that so that we won't get rejected and end up alone, yeah. right? We think yeah. we think our true self isn't good enough, so I need to build a false self to keep myself from being rejected and end yeah. up alone. Yeah. But if it's our false self that's going out into the world and contacting the world, then we're already alone because we're sort of hunkered down inside of these these ego walls that we build. Right. Um, and uh, and we may be we may be blending in great, um, but who we are is never actually being seen or mm. cared for mm. or attended to, and that that is that is terrible kind of loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Miles Adcox, um, was on our podcast once and, and he said, this is, this is when you leave being isolated and alone and, yeah. and you awaken to being, um, together and whole, um, yes. and, yep. uh, connected and together. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, such a, it, it, it's a, it's a, it, as Roar will call it, it's that reorientation um, mm-hmm. you know, you yep. leave an orientation of the false self, the resume, yep. you, now you're entering yep. into the true self, which is, uh, this is me, but I kind of haven't been here before. Um, right. and it's, it's that reorientation period. And then you enter into your, um, into your purpose and, yes. uh, in, into act three. And this is like, Hey, this is why I'm here. Um, yeah, this is, yeah. this is the beautiful ordinary me that's meant to be the gift to the world. Right. Well, and I think that, so the, you know, when you talk about these three acts, worthiness, then belonging, and then purpose, there's, there's a couple of reasons that we really have to hit the pause button on trying to discern our sense of purpose until after we've, we've done that internal project of embracing our worthiness and then sort of being embraced by our people. Cause we, you know, we we're wired for relationship Mm -hmm. and, and really until until that piece of our lives is starting to feel some sense of satisfaction, it can be really hard to pay attention to bigger, bigger things. What am I going to be doing with my life? Um, and also we need, we really need the support of our people, right? When, mm-hmm. when we decide we want to do something in the world and then we go out and do it and the crowd sort of reject us for it, <laughs> yeah. we need, we need our people to say, keep going. Yeah. You know, um, yes. we love, we love that you're showing yourself in this way in the world. We see that it's, uh, it, it makes you happy. Don't get distracted by the crowds. Do, wow. do what you're here to do. So wow. we need our we need our people there to support us in that way. And so that's the idea is that worthiness and then belonging. And then uh, we're ready to start to venture out into what do we want to do in the world. And um, I love that you call it clarity. And, and you, yeah. you kind of have this quote of saying, um, you're getting to hear that voice, voice of grace. You're getting to hear the voice of God. And that the finger of God is like a gentle music instructor. 
um, mm-hmm. that is that is saying, "Hey, here's your note to play." Yeah. Um, yeah. And it let the music play podcast, bro. That's like perfect. Um, <laughs> when I saw when I saw the title of your podcast, I thought, "Oh, there we go." Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> we're, like, "We're syncing up." <laughs> yes, yes. We are. We are. All things are wanting in that moment. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, but it's so that that clarity and it's it's the consistent return to the little one inside of you. Um, right. and, and you call this book and the idea of this is this, every, every little one inside of us needs to read a love letter. Right. Um, exactly. And, exactly. and, and not to repeat ourselves, but that's the daily work, man. Um, well, and you know, we turn, we turn this idea of purpose into such an adult thing, you know, like we have to figure out what our, you know, what, what career is going to make us feel, um, you know, perfect and, and like we matter. Um, but this idea of purpose, I think, is much more easily accessed if we think of it like this, that the little kid uh, that we were born as um, has a soul, and that soul um, contains certain passions, things that make it come alive and make and release its energy and things that that, that soul wants to do in the world. Yeah. And, and so we don't actually discover our purpose by doing something really adult-like. We discover our purpose by getting reconnected with that little one hmm. and reconnected with the passions that have sort of been there all along. But we were we were saying things like, well, but come on. Yeah. I mean, is gardening, you know, is that really um, something that matters in the world or is cooking? Really, I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. Um, and so getting reconnected with that little one is part of what helps us get reconnected with that passion yes. that we then live out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And and hidden unseen joy. Mm. is is it's part of the deal like (laughs) it's i don't think we give ourselves permission to be like yeah i'm in a garden for five hours just because something happens and you know we're the we're when we produce when our world is defined by what we produce um that's right sometimes just being allowing ourselves space to not produce to simply be in those in those moments i think is is some great work we have to do well, and I, you know, it's it's an audacious claim that that the natural state of the soul is is joy as it gets to do what it it wants to do in the world. But um, I think it's it's the reality that I see play out every day in people's lives as they start to get reconnected with those fundamental passions that they've had all along. Yeah, they they experience more and more joy in their lives. Yes, I wanted to read. Um, you cool if I read a little spot of the book? Oh yeah, because sure. I, I just love this. Um, as you're kind of putting a, putting a ribbon on act three, um, you said, we ultimately know the note we want to play, but shame makes us doubt it for a while. It tells us our one note is not enough, which is why it's essential to live the first two acts of your story before we ask why we are here. Once we trust we're enough, no matter what we do. And once we trust the embrace of our people more than the rejection of the masses, we can trust that we're here, that what we're here to do matters, no matter how ordinary it might seem. In the climactic moment of Act Three, we embrace our purpose and begin playing our note in the great symphony of humanity that is just beginning to tune up. Hmm. Let's go. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's, that that's, <laughs> I mean, that, you teed that one up and hit it out of the park. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And, and so, to our listeners, if if that musical paraphrase there just struck a deep chord in you, um, mm-hmm. lovable is, is something you got to go get your hands on. And I, 
I believe that um, your work and your energy and your story through these pages, uh, I truly believe it's it's going to reshape families. It's going to reshape trajectory of people's lives. Um, and I'm so thankful for your work, man. I mean, it's uh, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's this is the message that we need to hear today that will that will heal all aspects of our world. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I had a, I had a friend when we were uh, when I was sort of trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to say in this third act about purpose. He he said to me, very very wise man. He said, you know, Kelly, I think unless a passion is something that could be practiced by any person at any point in history, it's probably not your God given passion. Hmm. Um, and boy, did that take the pressure off of writing this book for me because wow. my passion, my passion, my God given passion was not writing a you know, a best-selling book, but it was what I was ultimately able to discern is that, um, first of all, writing is my passion, but also, um, speaking, um, in the voice of a father that, uh, mm. that can comfort and heal people. And so to hear what you just said, um, is a huge affirmation of my, of my passion for doing that. Um, so I'm just really grateful for that. Thank yeah, you. Man. You bet. Um, Okay, so I, I ask these questions to almost everybody um, mm-hmm. as, as we wrap up these dialogues. The first one okay. is this. Uh, what is currently keeping you curious? <laughs> um, well, so okay, so I um, right before the book uh, was released a month ago, I'd sort of saved a, a book to read for myself during this whole launching of my first book and okay. it's a book called love henry um and it's a collection of henry nowen's unpu- previously unpublished letters wow um yeah spanning like i think his last 25 years of, of life um and uh i expected to get all sorts of spiritual wisdom from it you know mm-hmm. and and i have but not in the way that i expected because what keeps hitting me over and over again as i read it is he had no idea what he was doing either. <laughs> uh, he he uh, you know he spent his whole life providing um, spiritual insight and and life advice and structure for people, but that was all arising out of his fumbling and stumbling. Wow. Um, and so yeah. that's been that that um, it continues to be um, a, a needed message for me in my life, and and I and I think probably for other people too that. You know, we're all figuring it out as we go, yeah. and when you think when you think everybody else has got it figured out, they're just they're just pretending better. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And fumbling's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's how that's how we figure it out. It's the only way to move forward. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, which is so hard with mm. uh, microwaves and, <laughs> and 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 instant gratification. Um, yeah. That the journey uh, process allow process to be the beautiful part of the journey. That's right. Um, yep. That's a good word. Now you've answered this a little bit, but I, I, and maybe we just need to hear it again, but what, what advice would you give to your younger self? What was yeah. it truly, you know, that five-year-old yeah. that saw you come and walking yeah. down the road? Yep. Well, so it's interesting, you know, in the book, I, I recount that scene where I give my fifth grade self, fifth that, grade that self, assur- excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. The fifth grade self assurance that he's okay. But, you know, what's interesting is maybe, uh, I would give different versions of my younger self, different advice because, um, I'm, uh, 
Hmm. I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to give a keynote address to um, an honors banquet that I attended, high school honors banquet that I attended 22 years ago. <laughs> um, I'm going to be giving that here this coming Wednesday. And so I thought, what would I tell my 18-year-old self, yeah. right? Like, what would yeah. I, what's the advice that I would give? Um, and a lot of it's stuff that we've talked about, you know, don't, uh, don't get bogged down in looking for inner peace in outside um, sources like relationships and accomplishments. Wow. And uh, and you know, don't um, don't don't get fooled into thinking that we've all got it figured out. If you don't if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you're in good company because mm. none, none of us do. Mm. Um, see what else is in there. There's um, you know the the idea that uh, chase your dreams, but chase them for the right reasons, and don't plan too far ahead because yeah. the way that you get to to where you want to go, it probably doesn't even exist right now. Mm. <laughs> you know, like for instance, if I'd have admitted to myself when I was 18 that I wanted to be a writer, um, I could have never planned for it because blogs didn't exist when I was 18, right? right? Yep. And so, so keep keep your eye on the target, but but be careful of of thinking you know how you're going to get there, and uh, and keep returning to that faithful companion inside. Mm-hmm. You know, the voice of grace. The voice of grace will go with you wherever you go. So. Um, that's what I would have told my 18 year old self and what I'm going to tell a bunch of them on uh, uh, next Wednesday, I guess. Love it. That's beautiful. Thanks man. Yeah. Return to the divine spark before you enter the mystery. You got it. (laughs) Um, awesome. Well, if, uh, if our people want to follow you, our listeners want to get in touch with, um, what you're doing, I'm sure lovable can be found anywhere. Amazon, uh, where's the best place to go to find it? Yep. Uh, Lovable is available anywhere books are sold. You can get it in uh, paperback or, or ebook or in audio. Um, so yeah, anywhere books are sold is definitely on Amazon there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's out there. Awesome. <laughs> and Dr. Flanagan, Dr. Kelly uh, is where people can find your other blog writings. Um, I know you've got a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot there that people can take in of things that you've put into the world as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. DrKellyFlanagan.com. People who sign up get uh, uh, my free weekly blog post and a sample of Lovable and actually a free copy of my ebook, The The Marriage Manifesto. So um, all sorts of good stuff there. People check it out. Brilliant. Um, You are one of us, man. Like I am, I I am thanking God today that, that this book was put in my lap. Um, And I hope that you and I, can we continue this dialogue somehow? I would love it. I would love to. Yeah. Um, I mean, can, I don't know we if we can... need a quarterly Dr. Flanagan call, but like, I have a sense <laughs> oh. that like you, you may be becoming one of our village elders, um, uh, wow. <laughs> of, uh, what we need to hear. Cause I think, um, so much of this reading the book, I was like, Oh yes, he said it better than I ever could. And that's what I've been trying to tell people. Mm, um, yeah. and, um, it's, it's brilliant. And I, I do hope you will come back and share, uh, this universal wisdom, um, often with us because I think that, uh, I think you're going to be a great light in this space for a long time. Uh, and to call you friend is an honor. Thank you, man. Well, I know I talking to you, I feel a sense of belonging. It, it sounds like that's what you're feeling. And so, yes. yeah, let's, let's cultivate this place of belonging. I would yes. love to do that. Yes. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. You got um, it. all right guys. So lovable, go get it. Um, and don't just buy one copy, buy one for your husband, buy one for your wife, buy one for your teenagers, buy one for your father-in-law, mother-in-law, your parents. I'm telling y'all, um, this, if resurrection is needing to be experienced in the midst of life, business, and relationships, all the cards are on the table in this thing. And, um, I don't know of a better place to point you today. And I read 
a lot every day. Um, and I'm telling you, this is this is a page turner and one that is uh, full of light and wisdom. Um, Kelly, on behalf of all of us, big hug through the phone and uh, thank you for joining us. Likewise, man. Thanks, right. Ashton. Okay, cheers. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Dr. Flanagan as much as I did. Make sure you support his work. Go out and find this latest book, Lovable. I promise you it will transform you, your life, your relationships, your business, you name it. Uh, It is a beautiful, beautiful book, and I know you will find a lot of joy reading it. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebird sing, and be love. Today's episode is brought to us by Holsty. Holsty explores what it means to live a life of intention and reflection through art, words, and action. Through their monthly subscription, Holsty examines themes inspired by the science of mindfulness, positive psychology, and ancient philosophy. Each month, subscribers receive letterpress prints illustrated by emerging artists, along with action lists and digital toolkits, encouraging further exploration and reflection. Holstie's journey began in 2009 with the viral popularity of their company manifesto, a call to arms around how their founders define success. They couldn't have imagined how much these words would resonate around the world. The Holstie Manifesto was called The Next Just Do It by the Washington Post. It's been translated into 13 languages and has received an estimated 100 million social media views. With the encouragement of their global community, they developed the monthly Holstie subscription to help people put the words of the manifesto into action. Be sure to go to Holstie.com slash Ashton and use the checkout code Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, to get your first month's free of the Holstie subscription.